Welcome to the Red Half of Sheffield, a Sheffield United podcast with perspectives from two American Blades fans. My name is Noah Snyder, and with me, as always, is Chad Jarvis. How you doing today, Chad? Oh, I'm doing good. Uh, feeling a little bit down because of our draw this morning, but uh, nonetheless, uh, I'm doing well. Glad to hear it. Glad to hear it. Yeah, we'll get into talking about our draw against Fulham. You know, this was a game that both you and I had pegged as a bang on winner for us. We thought this was finally going to be the game where we got our first three points of the season, our first win of the season, but it was not to be. So the first thing I want to talk about is the fact that there were some changes in the team sheet that was released about an hour before the game. Most interestingly, in my opinion, low coming on at that left back position for Stevens and Stevens dropping into that left center back position. When I saw that, I was really interested in it mostly because, you know, Stevens is not really that tall. doesn't really fit the build of your typical center back. Of course, as we all know, all of this is kind of a moot point about two minutes into the game. And then when Lowe eventually came off early into the first half, but without that, just kind of give me your perspective on that, Chad. Well, I'm like you. I saw the lineup and I was like, hold on. Edna Stevens is starting back here. I was like, okay, what, what's the deal with, with Jack Robinson? Why why are we doing this? I could see that Max Lowe coming in for Edna playing that wing back position, but just to, to slot him in Jack Robinson's position where it's been he's been nailed on so like Jack Robinson's been nailed on so much coming in to replace Jack O'Connell. It was just a just weird to see. It's like I don't know how this is gonna pan out, considering that Edna hasn't had the best start to the season of any of our defensive and wingback players. He to me, he hasn't it, it just looks like he's a shadow of his former self from last year. It just doesn't look like he's fitting into the side. What I'll what I'll say is that he has looked good when he's bombed up and made crosses into the box, but really on playing on the back foot, which let's be honest, Sheffield United have played on the back foot for the majority, 90% of our four games to this point prior to this game starting. He had been bullied a little bit on the defensive side, and I just thought it was an interesting choice from the gaffer to, to slot him in into the back there. But as we know, that didn't last very long with Lowe taking a knock very early on. Low within two minutes of this game starting, jumped right into Loftus cheek, took a knock, was down for a good two minutes, got up, got back on the pitch, and then really started to feel woozy, looked like he had a concussion, and Jack Robinson was subbed on for low with Stevens moving back into his preferred position of that left wing back position. Yeah, I mean when I saw Max Lowe run into the brick shit house that Ruben Loftus cheek is, I said, You're not gonna win that matchup. I mean, I've seen Loftus cheek take plenty of hits in his years at Chelsea and even when he played for when he got called up for England. I mean, the dude is built like an absolute brick shit house. I mean, so if you run into him, your chances are you're gonna bounce directly off of him. And he's probably he probably didn't even feel that. He probably didn't even feel Max Lowe. He's like, oh. Something bit me. What was that? And he just carried on. Max Lowe's rolling around on the ground. He doesn't know where he's at. And it's like, uh, come on, man. You, you got to be smarter when you're making a challenge like that. 
definitely. So the other surprise for me personally was that McGoldrick was starting in this game. I thought that he had taken a knock or he had uh, re-injured himself from a previous injury and he wasn't going to be available to start this game, but there he was in the starting lineup. In my opinion, he didn't look fantastic for most of his time spent on the pitch today. Obviously, McBurney had the much better chances. We'll talk about that that in a little bit. But yeah, McGoldrick was on McBurney and Norwood. I, I was really happy that Norwood slotted back into that center midfield position. That formation from the middle, with the exception of I, now that looks like Fleck not being in, in there any longer is going to be for four to six weeks is going to be a little bit problematic for us. Hopefully Osborne, after you know being benched this game, will slot back in versus our game in our game versus Liverpool. But it was kind of a, a breath of fresh air, really seeing Norwood, and I think that drove a lot of our offense in in the first half. As we kind of alluded to, this really was a game of two completely different halves. We looked fantastic bombing up the field. The center backs were overlapping. Basham was getting in on a lot of crosses and had a couple of bang on chances. There were passes to McBurney that, you know, obviously he didn't finish in the first half, but we were really getting our chances early on. Just couldn't slot any home. Yeah, uh, you're exactly right on, on your analysis there. When I saw Norwood come back into the game and you said it, it was like a breath of fresh air we like yeah i would have liked to see ben osborne in the side but i wanted to also see how norwood lundstrom and Berger would work in that midfield and seeing his name on the team sheet and then when he started to play the match and it was like old ollie norwood from the championship and even last year he was able to work the ball through the midfield and now at the beginning of the game we couldn't string a pass together to save our lives but I mean, once we got it, once we grabbed our foothold into the game and everything, we were working through the midfield. Sander Berger, he was getting the ball to Berger. He was getting the ball to Lundstrom. I mean, they were they were running forward. They were tracking back when we would lose possession, and they were defending. And, and that midfield three right there looks like a bang-on mid, midfield we need for the whole of the season because it get, we can attack with those, and we can also defend with those players too. Yeah, the other thing that I was really impressed about was Baltic Berg, Berger and Basham's interplay down that right-hand side was actually really marvelous for the first half. Of course, it completely died in the second half, but at least throughout the first half, that's really what led to a fair amount of, of chances was them getting the ball forward, moving it with pace, taking advantage of a lot of turnovers and mistakes on the part of Fulham throughout the first half of the game and to really get the break going. And that led to a couple of McBurney chances. The One of the best ones, in, in my humble opinion, was at the 29th minute. The, the cross came in from that right-hand side and McBurney heads it right at Ariola, like straight on. It's like you always hear strikers are told to head it down and into the corner because obviously the goalkeeper's positioning is going to be dead on center on, on a cross like that. And, you know, they hope that a center back will get ahead on it, but he first and foremost didn't head it down. 
and he headed it literally right at Areola. And that was probably our one of our best chances of the first half. And it was just really frustrating because it happened a couple of times throughout the game. I think he had three bang on chances. I'm, I'm really interested to see what McBurney's expected goals average was in this game. I It probably was at least one, if not 1.5 maybe even higher than that considering the number of what i what i thought were dead on chances for him to score and we just just couldn't get one in we honestly probably should have been up one or two nil at halftime yeah you're you're right on that and that cross you're talking about that came in the reason it didn't go towards the bottom corner if you watch the replay it deflects off his head and hits his shoulder and then it carries it directly into the keeper. So he was trying because when he flicked it on, you could see his what little hair he has move towards the ball and gets a flick on. It's just he's got his momentum is carrying him towards the ball. So when he flicks it on, it deflects off his shoulder and it it almost helps the goalkeeper out. Because I think if it doesn't hit the goalkeeper, it like you said, it nails the bottom corner and we go up one nil on, on that cross. And then the other one, he just he blew it straight past the post. You have to assume that it going off his shoulder, A, took pace off of it, and B, probably would have resulted in a VAR review and probably disallowed if it went off of his – it depends on what part of his shoulder. What's the, the, what is actually the arm? And regarding that rule where if a goal goes off of an arm at any point in the buildup to a goal, it's, it's called off – I don't know if, if even if it had gone in, would it have counted or, or or not counted? We had another good cross that came in from Stevens in the 34th minute. Alas, we couldn't get a foot on it, and it didn't result in a shot on goal, but just more creativity. Again, mentioning before, Stevens has had good moments, but they've been completely on the offensive side. And on defense, of course, he's looked like crap, in my humble opinion. Like, he's just kind of been run over bullied consistently by attacking forwards coming bombing down the left that left hand side i guess the right hand side from their perspective but yeah that left hand side on our defensive end and so that's been kind of my frustration with stevens i really hope that the concussion is not bad for low because i would like to see him feature in our game against liverpool next week and to be honest with you i think we take a chance on ampadu trying to slot him into that into that him not featuring in this game was also interesting to me because i think either either stevens could have dropped back like like he did and uh ampadu could have slotted into a center and into a, a midfield position or we could have slotted ampadu into that center back position that center center back position then i don't know maybe moved egan over to that left back position i think that's a stronger defensive line personally yeah, I, that's one thing, too. Not seeing Ampadu in the lineup, it was just kind of like it was a little bit of a head-scratcher. Like, okay, we've got this guy that he's played a good majority of our games this year, and since coming in, and now he's on the bench for – and I get you You brought Max Lowe in, and he, Max Lowe didn't play going international duty, so he, he didn't have any games to where it was wearing him down, where Ampadu went on – went with Wales and, and had to play three games on international duty. So I think it was a little bit of wilder 
you know, kind of resting him in, in knowing what we have coming down the pipe in Liverpool and City. And then obviously he won't be able to play against Chelsea, but I think it was Wilder's gonna gonna set he's gonna throw him in in the lineup against Liverpool, but it just kind of was like a head scratcher. Even with Max Lowe coming out, you know, he does he put Ampadu in instead of Jack Robinson, like you were saying, and move Egan, who by the way played a pretty damn good game back there. I, it kind of felt like he owed us one, you know, for getting well, you know, the whole temperamental thing about being sent off and everything, but. It kind of, kind of, he he played back to his normal how Egan always plays in the back. But do we slot him in the center and then move Egan out to where Edna p- was going to play? And then we put Jack Robin. Obviously, we put Jack Robinson, and then we have Edna out there, like you said, to see if how how all that works. And I think Chrissy Wilder gets where he's he wants to nail in his back line because that's where he wants the most security to where he can chop and change the midfield and our striking pairings. Obviously they have not for, I mean, a couple of games we've had the same striking pair, but I mean, we've chopped and changed those parts of the, the midfield and the rest of the team, but our back line, he's, I think he's trying to nail it on. And like, like I've told people before, these first 10 games to me, yeah, I, I understand they're part of the league, but you got to look at this as in the grand scheme of things is this is like a glorified preseason parts of the season. So we're still trying to figure out how this team is rolling. Yeah, I know we haven't got the results and everything, but I think Chrissy Wilder's using this to try and nail down his best 11. You're right. We're truly kind of in uncharted territory. Obviously, the preseason was expedited and we really didn't know what we had. Obviously, we had that fixture against Burnley in the Carabao Cup to really try out our second team, but we're making adjustments, really seeing where the chemistry is coming from. One would hope that Lowe, as I had stated, finds his way back into this lineup. One would hope that Ampadu somehow finds his way back into this lineup versus Liverpool next week. Again, we'll talk about that, that more moving forward, but in this game, I was a little disappointed not to see Ampadu feature and I was also disappointed not to see uh, Burke feature. I think perhaps, depending on whether Lowe takes that injury um, or not, I think maybe we slot one more striker. Maybe instead of Billy Sharp, we slot Burke in there because th- that paciness is so important. And that was the one thing that I felt that we lacked in the second half was that pace. So we go into halftime at a nil-nil draw. As we had stated, honestly felt like we should have scored two at least. We had two good bang-on chances that were just simply unlucky. And you had texted me during the game and you said, we are so unlucky, probably one of the most unlucky teams. And obviously there is a certain element of luck that comes into football, but it really seemed like the 
muses or the uh, football gods were working against us in that first half where we really just could not get one in, could not pot one for the life of us. So, you know, we go into the halftime still at a nil-nil draw, and I don't know what was said, but it seemed immediately, almost immediately coming out the second half, like really right into it in the 47th, 48th minute that we started to fall back a little bit. We weren't as strong. We were inconsistent in our buildups. There was not good interplay from the back line into the midfield, long, long balls forward. And most of those balls were contested. Fulham, I'd say we're winning about 50% of those balls. I will say this, look, McBurney won a lot of headers today. He won a lot. But if those headers aren't being won into the feet of a Sheffield United player, it's as good as a turnover. It's good, as good as a giveaway. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you can win all the, all the aerial headers that you want. If, that, if they're not in possession, if we're not retaining possession after an aerial header is won on a long ball from Ramsdale or from one of our center backs or left or right back, then it's it's just as good as a turnover, in my humble opinion. And he would head the ball, and he would head it just right into the feet of one of the Fulham players. And I saw that maybe like four or five times in the second half. Really disappointed in that. He's a tall bloke, and you know he's able to get on those, but we need to be better with possession. And that was the other element. I think going into half, we our possession numbers had looked pretty good. I felt like we were on the ball for most of the half. I think we were probably at 60 or 55% possession going into half. And boy, in that second half, Fulham really turned it around. I don't know where they got the confidence from. Maybe the their gaffer at, at half really gave an inspirational speech, but they looked really the better side in that second half. As I said, we were very bipolar in this match. Yeah, for sure. And uh, for for another point, that you made I was yelling at the TV every time Ram every time Ramsdale would dump the ball long to McBurney I would say here we go again we're going to give the ball away to the midfield of Fulham and they're going to come down with another attack and they're going to have a good build-up play and might have a chance on goal and I just was getting so fed up with every time McBurney would head the ball down it wouldn't get I mean 85% 85% of the time, it would go to a Fulham player. And it's like, dude, either Ramsdale has got to stop kicking the ball so long to you to where you're just giving it back to Fulham. It was kind of like it was like he would kick it, recycle, and they would come again in, in the second half. It wasn't as bad in the first half, but it just got to be in the second half. It's like we're beating a dead horse here to where he's kicking it long, he's heading it back, here comes Fulham again. He's kicking it, heading it. Here come Fulham again. And it's just like, I don't know why Ramsdale has to kick the ball five miles down the down the pitch. But, I mean, we've had our issues playing out of the back too because he, he kicked it to Aubameyang against Arsenal about gave him a goal, gifting him a goal. And so I don't know if Wilder doesn't want to play out from the back. He just wants to kick it down long and see if either McGoldrick, McBurney, whoever we have up there at striker can knock the ball down and maybe get it into Norwood or Berger or Lundstrom, whatever, and, and try and, and spring our attack. But I don't know. They've really got to look, go and look back at that because that that can't keep happening. So especially against these bigger teams we have, 
we're just going to get slaughtered in the midfield. I feel like we're beating a dead horse by saying this, and it's an easy criticism to make, but we've really not been careful on the ball. Possession is so important in these games, especially against a side like Fulham, where if you can move forward against them, constantly keep the pressure on, you're going to tire them out. Their back line really is not that great. And we proved that in the first half by getting balls and consistently getting good headers on balls, just not scoring. And really, I think we probably put it we pr probably were putting it to them because we thought that if we could get that early first goal, that would sap a lot of their energy. And they came back out in the second half, really invigorated. And the, the one thing I will say about the second half, the best player on the pitch, and this is kind of a sneak preview of who my man of the match was, was Rammers was absolutely brilliant. He made that save on Lookman that there was that ball, uh, ball that came in, he dropped it and Lookman came came on it and he dove scrambled and managed that was that really was a henderson-esque save yeah the double head. save yeah, yeah oh yeah the double save yeah i i shrieked like a like a 10 year old girl when he made that double save i was like surely we're going one behind he's like oh my god he saved it oh my god he saved it wow that is that dean henderson playing in goal or is that ramsdale yeah we really you really can't knock him unfortunately close very very closely after that happened i think there was a corner kick that came shortly thereafter robinson basically tries to do his own version of the maradona goal uh except in the defensive end and it's ruled a very obvious penalty and by the grace of the football gods mitrovic puts it on the bar right directly into the bar and over so we dodge a huge fucking bullet right there. Like yeah. just a massive bullet. I, I rolled my eyes and was like, up oh, here we go again. Yep. I, I texted you too. And I said, well, there goes the three points down the drain. And then I, I was probably eight inches away from the TV and he missed it. And I yelled, he missed it. Oh my God, he missed it. We're still in this thing. And I texted you. I said, Oh my God, we still have a fighting chance. I don't know how, as clinical a finisher as I've seen Mitrovic score so many goals watching Fulham play, I don't know how he just looked. He stepped up the spot and he looked like he was clueless and he he looked like he had so much indecision. And then he just slams the thing off the bar and it's like, yes, we're back in this, boys. The speculation I think was that Rammers was moving to Mitrovic's left like facing goal and that's where he had initially sought to place it as he was doing his run-up so he was going to effectively be guessing right and then i think mitrovic panicked and was like well i just put a put it up and uh it went over the bar it went or hit the bar and went over so as i mentioned we we dodge a bullet there immediately following that mcgoldrick comes out and we get the debut of uh, our our personal savior, <laughs> Rian Brewster, who, Mambo who makes, mentality, who makes his prem debut. So you know, first thoughts on effectively seeing basically thirty five or thirty minutes of Brewster. Well, when he came on, well, first of all, I I got up this morning and I put my sh uh, Brewster shirt on that I just got freshly minted and i put a sweatshirt on over it and it was kind of like i was getting subbed into the game because when i saw he was coming in i pulled the sweatshirt off i was like it's go time now i said let's go and then he comes into the game and 
it looked like McBurney was playing the the striker up top and he was slotted in behind him. It kind of wasn't like they were playing on level terms. And I noticed that he was tracking back and trying to win the ball because when he came on, then we were trying to, we were going more heavily defending. And so he was trying to win the ball back. And I was just like, somebody slot him. And he played that, he played that one good ball to Stevens. Yeah. But he was off sides. Wasn't he? No, I, I don't think he was offside. If memory serves me correctly, Stevens crossed it back into the middle, I think, to try to oh, cross yeah. it back to Brewster, yep. and it did not go well, and it went immediately to a defender, and they started right back up. Yeah, and, other- and that's and that's what I thought, too, is when he came on and we had anything in that end, it looked like we were trying to force the ball to him to like try and get him the to get the goal, it's almost like like that that cross. Edna shouldn't have crossed that back to Brewster. He should have put the ball into the box, and maybe we get a nick on and get a chance on goal. But it looked like he pulled it back just intentionally to run it to Brewster to say, here, try and get a goal. Yeah, I think that ball to Edna Stevens was great. But, you know, again, I think we were trying to force the issue just because – of the fanfare and you know the pressure on this kid to come in and succeed i think really the 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 side felt pressured to get the ball to him to see if he could just try to create that one brilliant moment to maybe put us ahead but alas that was not to be i think mostly besides that one good pass to stevens he he were really just kind of a ghost out there for for most of the rest of the game following the substitution disappointing but this was kind of a weird game where much of the side and i think we we talked about this while the game was going on was just absolutely spent completely spent burger had been bombing up and down the field for most of the game and i want to say around the 70th minute maybe the 73rd minute i just saw him huffing and puffing and i was like Man, this guy, he's been working very hard today. I can't blame him for being absolutely spent. He, uh, If we had had another substitution, I'm pretty sure that Wilder probably would have taken Berger out, maybe put Burke on, but that's the way the cookie crumbles. You only get three substitutions. You have to use one for injury in that 18th minute, and, you know, it was really interesting that Wilder put Billy Sharp on I'll, we'll, we'll get to that in a second, but actually I want to talk about in the 77th minute, Lookman is driving into the area, puts a ball that goes directly off of Basham's knee, and that's what leads to the opening goal of the game. Really, anybody who's putting the blame on Ramsdale for that can fuck right off. I'm just going to tell you right now, if you're listening to this and you think that goal is Ramsdale's fault, fuck right off. Because yeah, yeah, there's nothing Ramsdale could have done about that. There's there's absolutely nothing Ramsdale could could have done about that. Egan tries to go in to 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 make the save, but really it's too late after it goes off of Basham's knee, and we go down one nil to Fulham. And you know immediately following that, Billy Sharp comes on again. He did make a difference, obviously, in the end, but I I was just considering the pace that he has, especially in a game like this where we had pretty much exhausted the most of our pacey players by that 75th minute. I thought it was questionable to put Billy Sharp on, but again, I'm not the gaffer. 
Chrissy Wilder ended up making a good decision because just a, sh a few short minutes following that, we get a penalty. <laughs> Again, it's hilarious that Robinson created a penalty on the defensive end, and then he won a penalty in the offensive end. It was interesting because the play had been cleared. It, it was This was uh, off of a cross into the area. The ball had been effectively cleared. Fulham were driving back down to the other end, and the ball had been put out below the line for what would have effectively been a corner kick for Fulham. And we get that little pop-up that VAR is taking a look at something. And I didn't even see the foul initially. But looking at it, yeah, I mean, Mitrovic kicks Robinson's foot straight from under him. That leads to the ball deflecting, you know, up and out of the area. And a penalty is given. And Billy Sharp steps up to the plate, steps up to the, the dot, and slots it home in arguably one of the best penalties I've seen taken by any Sheffield United player in the last few years, just into that upper right-hand area of the of the goal, and we are tied at one. At this yeah, point. I mean, to go back on your your point about the Luckman goal, okay, if you, I would agree with you. If anybody thinks that that's Rammer's fault, that's they're complete morons. It's just the, the soccer gods were – the luck had not been on our side. So for it, the ball to be played off his knee and then back to him, and then he just bangs one home. And, it's, I mean, there's nothing – Henderson's not saving that. But let's be honest. There's no goalkeeper in the world. And I think the commentator said it when the goal get, went in. There's no goalkeeper that's saving that. And then for for anybody to blame him, it, that's just – that's just how the ball bounces. Sometimes it bounces to, it bounces off a defender's knee and right back to the player. And he's there's no one around because they're always they're attacking the they're attacking the defender. The ball ricochets around back to him and he scores. And then the the penalty. Yes, I love Jack Robinson for just sticking his leg out there and Mitrovic just wanting to you know he's that poacher he just wants to try and score goals from the other end of the field so he just wanted to he just wanted to try and score and then <laughs> we have El Capitan steps up to the spot and what does Billy Sharp do when he steps up to the spot Billy Sharp scores goals Billy Sharp scores goals and he certainly proved that again today I'll tell you if he's on the pitch he has my full trust to take pens moving forward. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, 100%. He always did. He always did 100. have my full trust. But really, today's pen was arguably one of the best pens. I, not only that I've seen from him, but from any Sheffield United player it, during the Wilder era. Yeah. It, it was a clinical, a clinical finish. He stepped up. He knew from the get-go where he was going in the goal. He said, I'm going to shoot an absolute rocket. If the keeper saves it, he's probably breaking both of his hands because that ball was – I don't know if you saw the smoke coming off of it, but it had some smoke. So, I mean, yeah, that was that's as clinical as – and, I mean, if you go back to the Villa game where Lundstrom has that penalty effort, Lundstrom tries to place the ball in there. He doesn't put, the, he doesn't put any pace behind the ball. Billy Sharp says, fuck it, I'm burying this bad boy in the back of the net, and if the keeper's going to save it, his hands are going to sting after this one. So, I mean, 
I, I'm with you on the sub with him coming on, putting him up there with Brewster. But, I mean, for his age at 34, he brings his lunch pail to work every day, and he puts in a shift when he comes in. Yes, I know he doesn't exactly fit probably into our side anymore, and, you know, it, it kills me because he's my favorite player. But every time I come on, I said Billy Sharp – it goes through my head, Billy Sharp scores goals, Billy Sharp scores goals. And – I understand he's not going to probably get too many goals from open play. He, he'll he probably have to settle if he's on the field and we get a penalty and he'll be the penalty taker and score the goals. But he just – he has energy and it's it's something different that I know it, he doesn't slot because you've got – you go from one end of the spectrum. You got Billy Sharp who's 34 and you got Brewster who's a kid. So it's like we got the senior citizens and we got the kids out there. So it's kind of like we're kind of offsetting ourselves here. And so as bad as I want him to play, and I know he'll probably start all our, our FA Cup games. Right. But it just – I don't understand why we put him in to thinking that we're going to go – I mean, I guess because Wilder looks at it like, okay, Fulham – they're just coming up from the championship. Yeah, they've got all kinds of different players and whatnot. They got Premier League type players. But, you know, he has a knack for getting the goals against the teams that are in and around the bottom that are similar setup to championship sides. So he can get onto it. But it's just like you see Burke sitting on the bench, and it's like we could have made that. We probably could have sacrificed Sharp for Burke. But then if the, the penalty is awarded, do we have Lundstrom – step up and he get he goes up there with no confidence and he misses or he gets saved again. So I love you, Billy Sharp, if you ever listen to this podcast, but it just I I can't see him being slotted in. I would love to see him start against Liverpool and banging a hat trick. I'd probably get his face tattooed on my ass. But <laughs> he needs to just he needs to ride the bench for a little bit a little bit. Yeah, well, really how he fits in, in my opinion, if we ever transition from a 3-5-2 to a 3-4-3, I can totally see him slotting up as that main striker, that one, and then you have like the two other strikers or forwards that are just positioned directly behind them. If we ever, if Wilder ever did want to switch it up, um, that's where I could see Billy Sharp starting at. and But really, I think that Burke would slot into that position or Brewster would slot into that position just because of the pace. In this game, probably I would have, I like if I was the manager, I probably would have slotted Burke in instead of Billy Sharp. But it turns out the gaffer knew that we were going to get a pen, slotted Billy Sharp in, Billy Sharp scores goals, and we end up drawing. The rest of the game, we really, following that Billy Sharp goal from, you know, that 81st minute, uh, or I'm sorry, 85th minute, whenever the goal happened, yeah, in the 85th minute, for the rest of the game, there was another five minutes of regular time. Boy, were we defending for our lives. Oh, yeah. We were hanging on by a thread. I texted you. I said, uh, 
I don't feel so good about how this is going to finish. I mean, we were defending for our lot. Yeah, I mean, like we would we wouldn't even try it. We would try and play something through the midfield and we wouldn't even just clear the ball down to their goalkeeper to like take the pressure off our back line. I was like, oh, my God, we are going to concede a goal. And they had what two or three chances right there at the end. And they almost scored. Yeah, there were several additional chances. Ramsdale was fantastic for the rest of the game. You know, there was that one goal that was not even his fault, but I will say Ramsdale really was the man of the match for me. You know, I, I we, we've said it a, a couple of times how great Ramsdale has been considering that his name is not, not Henderson. I'm, I've been very pleased with the majority of his play. Look, we've been holding most teams to one or, or two goals throughout the season. We have not conceded more than two goals uh, so far this season. We just need to keep more clean sheets. We've yet to keep a clean sheet so far this season, and we need to pot more goals. I'm hoping, we're hoping sincerely that Brewster can come in and play the full 90 or play, you know, get a good 60 minutes in. Once he learns the system a little better, maybe start potting one. We just need one from another source and then hope that either McBurney or Berger or Norwood or Lundstrom or Fleck when he comes back, one of our midfielders and maybe even Stevens or Balduck can get on one and get another goal in. But really, it's going to be tough to win games 1-0. We said this at the beginning of the season in our preview of the season. We won a lot of games last year by Henderson keeping a clean sheet and us getting one cheeky goal. That's not going to be our game plan this year. We, we're just not. It's just not going to happen. We more than likely are going to concede at, at least one goal throughout, the, I'd say, a good portion of the games. We need to ensure that we're either taking the draw by scoring or going ahead and winning with either two or more goals. That's We're going to need an average of about, I think, 1.4, 1.5 goals the rest of the season if we have any hope of not being in a relegation battle. Yeah, you're, to your point exactly. I mean, the whole thing is, is everybody that has watched Henderson over the past few seasons, Ramsdale could come in and cl- have a clean sheet for the next 25 games in a row, and they'd still say, well, Henderson did it in 26 or some some crap like that. But it's like the dude is a good goalkeeper. He was at Bournemouth last year. Okay, his back line was worse than our back line, so he conceded a lot of goals. So you can see where his confidence was low coming into this year. Now he as – as we get further into this season, his you can see his confidence is getting more and more and more and more, and it's building up. And he's going to be – when we get rolling, if we don't have any more damn international breaks, we can, and we can build his confidence. We can start keeping clean sheets, and then his confidence will go through the roof, and he is going to be one of these good goalkeepers in this league, and he's going to save us a lot of points. I have a feeling by like late November, you know, around Christmas time, around the first of the year, I think Ramsdale is going to come in a real good form, and we're they're, the opposition is are, are going to have a hard time getting the ball in in the back of the goal past him. We really saw quite a bit of skill today from Ramsdale reaching out, just getting a little touch on balls that were dead on goals otherwise, and again, 
we're getting into man of the match now and Aaron Ramsdale is my man of the match. I I would agree. I would agree with you, but I thought there was a big Norwegian geezer in the midfield that, that outperformed him. Sander Berger was my man of the match. Berger was great. As far as the best outfield player, he was my man of the match as well. Were it not for a, a brilliant performance by Ramsdale, I would have picked Berger. Him bombing down that right-hand side connected really well, as I said, with both both Basham and Balduck. He got on the end, it, and really, it was a tale of two halves for Berger as well. He looked just so out of it in the second half. He was so tired. And really, if we had had, if, if this was back during the restart, project restart, we have five substitutes, he would have definitely come out if uh, if Chrissy Wilder had had those extra two substitutions. Oh, for sure. And he played all those matches with Norway in the international break, which for me made absolutely no sense to have an international break in the middle of a pan- global pandemic. It makes no sense. But it looked like he had played I, – I think he had actually played extra time in one of those matches too. So he had put in a shift for three games for Norway – and then he comes back and, you know, like you said, he looked amazing in the first half. And then at 70th minute, he looked like he hit the freaking wall. And it's like, he's not marauding up through the midfield. He's not going after balls. He's like, God, I want to get subbed off. And then, you know, if we didn't have the Max Lowe sub, he probably does get whipped off about 70, 75 minutes. But, I mean, the dude is – when I was on Twitter during the match and everybody was blown up how good he was playing. He was, he played out of his mind. And that's where that's, that relates back to the whole situation with our goals. I want to see us get goals from the midfield too. just not have to rely on our strikers to get goals, but you got burger can nail. And he had that shot from long range today that, that made the keeper go down. It was an easy save in the end, but he put that effort in. And if we can get Norwood to to swing in a, a free kick and, and get us a couple goals, and, you know, Lundstrom, he's good for a couple goals too. If we can start getting our goals from midfield to help our strikers along, I think we'll get this train rolling on the tracks faster. Yeah, I definitely agree. The one thing that Berger does that I absolutely adore is when he's coming down the right-hand side of the pitch, when he'll have an in, uh, that bit of interplay either with Balduck or – with Basham or with one of the other midfielders where he'll do a little give and go and get really like on nine, nine times out of 10 when he does it on side, it leads to a pretty good bang on chance. I think it happened two or three times where he was able to get below, get past their defender on a good onside ball and had a good crossing opportunity. And, it's my just my favorite bit of play. He does it. He does it in almost every game. It seems doesn't matter the side. Was doing it against Arsenal. Was doing it against Leeds. It's it, it, he looks fantastic when he does it. Um, and he had several chances today. One of them. One of the balls that. Um, one of the plays that he uh, of the quality of that I had just described happened in the beginning of the in, right in the middle of the first half, like probably the twenty fifth or twenty sixth minute, and he just pots it right over. McGoldrick's head and if he gets that on McGoldrick's head that's a bang on chance the other thing that we didn't mention that I want to just touch on briefly right before we get going here because I think we've been talking for like close to an hour so much to talk about in this game is that we were offsides in that first half we probably had 
four or five offsides that I don't understand. Like there were three or four players that were just not onside. Look, Fulham's back line isn't that great. They shouldn't be able to pull us offside that much. Honestly, just lock, watch your positioning, boys. Yeah, exactly. And, and Berger was caught on, on one of those, I believe. I think he yeah. somebody played him the ball and he was offside because I think it would have set up a goal, I believe, but they called they, they whistled him offsides because I think Fulham's back line played a higher line and just caught him offsides. Yeah, I, I really didn't – I was like, are we Man City right now? I said every as much as the flag's going up, I mean, I, I can't believe how, how much offsides we are right now. But I was like, yeah, it's weird. I don't know how we got caught off sides that much against them. But one one other thing, too. Can we also celebrate that we're all finally off the mark with a point in the league? We are no longer on a goose egg in the bottom of the table. If results go against us here tomorrow we'll probably be back in the relegation zone, but at least we're off the mark. That was my biggest thing coming into this game. I didn't want to leave that game without a zero on the board. If we left a zero on the board, we, after the next three games, we'd have, what was this match week five? Yep. We'd have eight games and we'd have, we're chances are pretty high that we're going to have no points on. We would have had no points on the board. Yeah. As optimistic as, you and I usually are. The next three fixtures for us are going to be very challenging. We have Liverpool coming up next week, followed by Man City, followed by is West Ham after that, and then Chelsea. No, so, it goes Chelsea, oh, then Chelsea, West Ham. Chelsea and yeah. then West Ham. So we've yeah, got we, Murder Row. We've lovingly called called this Murderer's Row, but you know we're, we're going to try to remain optimistic. Hopefully, we can get a cheeky point off of one of those three. Again, Liverpool has conceded a lot of goals this season. Also with Virgil van Dijk going down yesterday and being out for the rest of the season on probably what was one of the most controversial challenges that I can remember in the last couple of years. Um, that'll really be interesting moving forward for, to next week's fixture against Liverpool. That's yep. an oh, eight- for sure. That's an 8 p.m. start, Greenwich Mean Time, which means I'll finally have a game where it's appropriate for me to be absolutely on the piss during <laughs> during a match. So, but you know what? We're gonna we're gonna talk about that in the next podcast. We should have that podcast out by Wednesday, previewing our game against Liverpool. Until then, where can the people find you on social media, Chad? They can find me at Blades in the USA on Facebook and Twitter. And if you want to follow the trials and tribulations of my everyday life, you can find me on Instagram at cjarvis underscore 13. And you can follow me, Noah Snyder, at nessman930 or sunpuck on Instagram. And additionally, you can now follow this podcast. We officially have a Facebook page up and running just at the red half of Sheffield on Facebook and please like our page, please subscribe to this podcast and please give us a rating. If you like us, please give us five stars. If you don't like us, please just, just don't rate, rate us. Just don't even. No, you can give us, be honest. If you don't like <laughs> us, rate us, let us know. I'm, I'm open to any type of interpretation. Yes. We want, we would like constructive criticism. You know, th- this was an idea give, giving perspective from you know, an American's perspective on Sheffield United. And I'll, I'll let all of you listeners, probably many of you who are 
are coming from England and probably a lot from Sheffield itself. And especially here in Los Angeles, there are more and more Blades fans that I'm running into every single day. I think the longer we stay in the Premier League, the more people will really like this type of football because it Sheffield United football is smash mouth. It's in your face. It is not sometimes very like really it's not very pretty sometimes, but it's effective. And that's why I fell in love with the Blades all those years ago when I started supporting them. Chad, I'm sure that that's why you love the Blades as well. So yep. please continue to tune in. Until next time, up the blades. Up the blades. Come on, you red and white wizards. <laughs> <laughs>